journalist Lance Williams and his partner Mark are going through boxes and boxes of documents. We were in an office, and it was at night. They're in a rush. These documents are actually transcripts of testimonies given in secret, and they don't know how much time they have. We could only be in there a certain amount of time, and so we, we just divvied them up. Lance took one box, Mark took another. We did it really old school. We took notes. They didn't have time to make copies or risk taking sketchy photos because the year was 2004. And we all know the camera phones back then were as good as useless. Handwritten notes were the only thing they could truly trust. And that's because these testimonies were the key to a story both Mark and Lance have been trying to get to the bottom of for a year. A lab in San Francisco called Balco that was under investigation for supplying dozens of athletes with illegal performance-enhancing drugs, including home run hero Barry Bonds and sprinter Marion Jones. So here Lance and Mark were in some nondescript office block in the dead of night reading the testimonies of the biggest sports stars on the planet. Bonds and Marion Jones were the athletes who refused to acknowledge what they had been doing. And so those transcripts were interesting, watching them spar with the prosecutors and so forth. Many of the other athletes gave it up, just gave it all up. We are going through all this material and, you know, and I think Lance and I at various points, you know, are looking at each other laughing, I think, um, because we can't believe not only our good fortune, but also, you know, we recognize how, you know, how big this stuff's going to be. I can only imagine your adrenaline is pumping, you're excited about all this crazy information, but the clock was ticking and they had to pack up and get out of there. It was like around midnight and I did remember thinking, damn, they're going to be mad at us for this one. And I also thought, what a cool story we're going to have. And we did. But it was only when Lance and Mark started releasing this information into the world that the magnitude of what they discovered materialized and ultimately led to a choice between their integrity and their freedom. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat, the show that asks the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, how two journalists risked their freedom exposing one of America's shadiest scandals. So you guys might remember, back in July of last year, we put out an episode about America's former sprinting sweetheart, Marion Jones. In the telling of Marion's story, we touched on this place called Balco, Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative, and the guy who ran it, Victor Conti, who Marion sued for attempting to destroy her career. It's safe to say that Balco played a pretty big role in the downfall of Miss Jones, as it did for a lot of athletes in the mid-2000s. I mean, this place is at the center of one of the biggest doping scandals ever. A scandal that gave a huge black eye to the integrity of Major League Baseball, track and field, and American football. So we thought, hell, why not take a second look? But we're not just going to tell you the story of Balco and the athletes involved. We're also going to tell you the story of the people who told the story, if that makes sense. He grew up in the Central Valley in, in California. That's Mark Fanaruwada, 
Mark's a reporter for ESPN. Previously, he was a sports writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. He spent a lot of time digging into Conti. The more you learned about Conti, the more you learned that he was sort of not only a self-promoter, but somebody who sort of continually reinvented himself. Conti was a scrappy kid from the streets of Fresno. He was a talented triple jumper and a standout on his high school track and field team. He went to college, but he dropped out to pursue his main passion, music. He was a bass player with a fairly famous band here called Tower of Power. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Tower of Power? This band had hits from You're Still a Young Man to So Very Hard to Go. And Conti became the group's bass player in 1977. The band had seen nine other bass players before Conti walked into the audition. They stopped the mid-song and said, we've heard enough. We found our guy. At least that's Conti's version of events anyways. A more likely story is that Conti got the gig because his cousin was in the band already. You know, we learned later that he, he got into the band and tried to take it over. Dang, so this guy wasn't even in the band for like five seconds before he was fired. But it didn't end with Tower of Power. He also played with famous musician Herbie Hancock. Yo, I love Herbie Hancock. In total, Conte recorded 15 albums until 1984 when he decided he needed some stability. Something that would get him off the road and help him take care of his family. That year, he purchased something called an ICP machine. An ICP machine is used to detect mineral levels in the blood. Conte figured if it could cost him about $25 to test someone's mineral levels and he could charge $100, boom, he had a business. And that was the beginning of Balco. He worked up to this idea that somehow most athletes were deficient in, in certain vitamins and minerals and that he could test for this and let them know what they were deficient in and then give them more of these supplements. So I just have to reiterate at this point, Conti was a college dropout. This dude had no background in medicine whatsoever. This knowledge of minerals was all self-taught. He would go up to Stanford's medical library and read pages and pages of articles all about minerals and how to measure them. Then one day in 1985, when he was at a medical conference talking about his work, a coach from Cal Berkeley came up to Conti and said, how'd you like to help the world's fastest swimmer? That swimmer was Matt Biondi. Conti tested him, found that he was depleted in magnesium, and got him on the supplements. Six weeks later, Biondi smashed the American 200-meter record. This was huge for Conti. Next thing you know, he's working with all these athletes who were training for the 1988 Olympics in Seoul. He had 25 of them on his books. And you should have seen him at the Olympics. He had them decked out in all this swag covered with Balco branding. He even marketed them as the Balco Olympians. Because that's the thing about Conti. This dude is an incredible salesman. He was particularly smart at how to sell. And, you know, athletes, obviously, like, there's nothing new about using athletes to sell products. And Victor was very smart in aligning his entity with some of these fantastic athletes because it wasn't just the word Balco printed on the merchandise that Conti was giving these athletes. There were also another three letters. ZMA, 
Victor came up with a particular pill, basically, or a particular medicine called ZMA, which not coincidentally, he decided was what most athletes needed. ZMA was a supplement Conti developed, a mixture of zinc and magnesium he claimed would have amazing health benefits. Conti would ask the athletes to sell it for him at any opportunity. And sell, they did. Conti's 25 athletes at the Seoul Olympics brought back a total of 15 medals. That was like 20% of Team USA's total medal haul. It was huge for Balco, and more and more athletes came flocking throughout the 90s. Then in 1999, Conte went to the Mr. Olympia bodybuilding competition in Las Vegas. Mr. Olympia was a big deal back then, made famous by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who won like seven titles. It was held in the Mandalay Bay Hotel, full to the brim with muscle-bound dudes covered in oil, wearing underwear. At the competition, Conte met this chemist named Patrick Arnold. Arnold was pretty ripped himself, and he was telling him all about this drug he had developed that helped athletes recover. He handed this bottle of liquid to Conte with a label on it that just read, Stuff. See, now most of us at this point might have said, you know what, I think I'll pass on this dubiously labeled elixir. But Conti, no. Conti bought the bottle for $150 and took it back to his lab for testing. Of course, he had his suspicions that this might be a steroid. Nonetheless, he took this stuff himself, then began analyzing his own urine over a few days. Turns out, this stuff wasn't showing up. Ah, uh, yeah. Conti had hit a gold mine, an undetectable steroid. From there, Conti and Arnold, that's Patrick, not Schwarzenegger, developed the drug into THG, known as the clear. The only problem was this steroid lowered testosterone levels, which is a red flag for any drug tester. But Conti, of course, had a plan. He took a run-of-the-mill testosterone cream and worked it into the schedule for his athletes. So check this out. The athletes would take the clear on Monday, then the cream on Tuesday to get the testosterone level back to normal. And since Victor already had plenty of people who swore by his mineral supplements, it was easy to introduce these new products to his customer base. What Victor ended up really doing was turning this business into sort of a front in some ways for him providing these athletes with ultimately performance-enhancing drugs. And that's exactly what happened with Tim Montgomery. Montgomery had always been fast, but he was small. At 5'9", his nickname was Tiny Tim, but speed was in his genes. According to family legend, his mother had once chased a rabbit until its heart stopped. Damn. Tim's dream was to break the 100-meter world record, and he told anybody that would listen. But by his mid-20s, he had hit a wall. In 1999, he started training with coach Trevor Graham and another sprinter by the name of Marion Jones. But the real breakthrough came in 2000, when Tim met Conti at the Sydney Olympics. A couple of months later, they sat in a room at Balco. Joining Tim and Conti was Trevor Graham and Charlie Francis former coach of disgraced gold medal winner Ben Johnson. Together, they decided on a plan. Project World Record. At the heart of it was a simple theory. Make Tiny Tim stronger. The fact was, 
Tim had problems competing against some of these other guys who were basically built like brick houses. Eight weeks after Tim starts working with Conti, he packs on 28 pounds of muscle. It's a crazy transformation. He continues on this cycle of Conti's signature steroid, the clear, for a couple of years. Then sure enough, on September 14, 2002, Tim sets the 100-meter world record in Paris, 9.78 seconds. But by then, the Project World Record crew had disbanded. Conti and coach Trevor Graham had gone their separate ways. Conti was now working with British track star Dwayne Chambers, a direct rival to Trevor. A few months after Tim's world record, an anonymous syringe turns up at the offices of anti-doping authorities. The syringe contained traces of the clear and details about Balco. Its sender, Trevor Graham. This sets off a mad investigation into Balco. And on September 3rd of 2003, 24 officers from the IRS Criminal Investigations Unit and the Narcotics Task Force turn up at the Balco headquarters near the San Francisco airport. These guys had been staking out the offices for months. They were going through the trash, building evidence, and now was the time to strike. They stormed Balco and confiscated hundreds of documents, bottles and bottles of performance-enhancing drugs, syringes, and all kinds of paraphernalia. They then head down to one of Conti's main distributors, a trainer named Greg Anderson, who runs a gym nearby. This dude calls himself the Weight Guru, with a license plate that reads W8 Guru. Just by that name, he should be investigated. And the agents, they raid his offices as well. News of these raids reaches the San Francisco Chronicle and the desk of Mark Fenerou Wada. Nobody really even knew if it was a story or what kind of story it was, but when you saw that there were all these famous athletes affiliated with Balco, it, it certainly raised a lot of, of questions and red flags. More on that after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous true spies from spyscape studios wherever you get your podcasts have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island jane gaskin did exactly that trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics but she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets i'm alice levine and this is the price of paradise the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's shortly after the raid on the Balco headquarters, and Mark has been asked by his bosses at the San Francisco Chronicle to look into the story. I got assigned the story, and then I did, I think, what any sort of reporter would do, which is I did as much possible research as I could about Balco and... Um, Victor Conti, and the athletes that were associated with him. In October of 2003, Mark received a tip from a dude that a grand jury had been put together to interview the athletes implicated. Mark discovered that this grand jury and the athletes were meeting every Thursday at a courthouse in the city. If you staked out the courthouse, 
every Thursday, you could see which athletes were coming in and being interviewed about their connections to Conti. I mean, clearly, Mark couldn't go into the courthouse and hear what was being said, but knowing who was being interviewed was good intel. The way the government was prosecuting the case was sort of strange. They seemed to be protecting the athletes. They were after these sort of low-level drug dealers, frankly, who nobody had ever heard of. You know, we thought this was a, an almost an uneven way to, to approach the case, that the athletes were the most famous people. They were the ones cheating the system, and they should be exposed. And there were a lot of sources who agreed with that and wanted to help and cooperate. As more and more information started rolling in, it became apparent that the story was spiraling out of control. Lance joined me on what he, I think, thought was maybe one story or two, but turned into several years of of reporting. My boss said, I guarantee you I'll have you off the story by Christmas. But to my boss's credit, he didn't say Christmas of what year. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty slick. Two days after being assigned the story, Lance met up with an old source. The guy I'd known for like 25 years, he helped me on stories once in a while. They sat there having lunch when the guy says to Lance, Do you know anything about this Balco story? And I said, well, that's funny. I was just assigned to work on it. I don't know anything. And he said, well, look, I know some people who know the whole story of Barry Bonds and steroids. Lance was introduced to people who knew Barry Bonds well, and they helped him figure out the connection between Bonds and Balco. And you have to understand, Bonds was and still is a huge deal in baseball. He was the uh, greatest hitter in baseball in a generation and one of the greatest of all times. He transformed himself into just a pure guy who would hit the ball, you know, 400 feet and wound up breaking what in the United States is the greatest sports record of all sports, the lifetime home run record. You have to remember in San Francisco, in many ways, the story centered around Barry Bonds, the baseball player, home run king. And and so while we were interested in obviously the entire story and we did many pieces around the track athletes and football players, Bonds was a central piece of the investigation. Remember Greg Anderson, the weight guru who distributed drugs for Conti, who the feds raided after Balco, who had that obnoxious license plate? Turns out, He and Bonds are childhood friends. The two reconnected in 1998, and Bonds hired Anderson to replace his trainer. Then he started hitting home run after home run. I mean, I even remember him coming into the league as a talented, young, slim baseball player. And then it was like, all of a sudden, this dude had muscles bulging out of his uniform. And Lance's source, the guy he met for lunch, knew all about Bonds. Through that relationship... Um, we were able to develop this this information about this recording that existed. And, and it was fascinating. It was an audio recording of Greg Anderson in the Giants clubhouse speaking about steroids. Everything from his own personal experience with using steroids to effectively giving these drugs to Bonds and, and the impact on Bonds' performance. He said, the whole thing is, everything that I've been doing at this point, it's all undetectable. See, the stuff I have, we created it. And you can't buy it anywhere else. Can't get it anywhere else. But you can take it the day of the test, pee, and it comes up perfect. Lance and Mark published the story, and the heat turned up on Bonds. But they still didn't have an admission of guilt. 
from Bonds or any other athletes. Shortly after, a source handed over the grand jury testimonies, and everything changed. We ultimately broke a story in the summer of 04 about the grand jury testimony of Tim Montgomery. And that was the first time that the grand jury testimony came into play, and also that you had an athlete in his own words describing to the grand jury the extent of his use, the extent of the conspiracy, and the involvement of Victor Conti and, and everybody else. And, you know, it was not a small thing because you had Tim Montgomery, the world record holder in the 100 meters, and here you had him basically acknowledging his use of these drugs and implicating Conti and everybody else. Tiny Tim didn't hold back. He even sold out Marion Jones. You see, the two were husband and wife at that point, and Tim admitted to seeing her take steroids. I imagine the pillow talk after that must have been real tough on Tim. One of the other testimonies that stood out was Jason Giambi. Jason had met Barry Bonds trainer Greg Anderson on a U.S. All-Star tour in Japan in 2002. Anderson had convinced Giambi to start taking that famous Balco cocktail, the clear, and the cream. His uh, admissions were so almost guileless. He just told everything, everything he'd been doing, where he got it, how he used the stuff, what it did. You got to remember, these are different times. Today, you know, sports fans in the United States, they know about doping. They might not care about it very much. They might object to it. But if an athlete is suspended for using banned drugs, it doesn't surprise anyone. It's just part of the backdrop. It's hard to imagine, but at the time of Balco, this was just unthinkable to people, just unthinkable, and it just blew their minds. But what about Barry Bonds' testimony? Did he admit to taking drugs? Barry's position is that he took a bunch of stuff his trainer gave him. He didn't know what it was. You know, if it was steroids, it was news to him, or performance-enhancing drugs, it was news to him. All the evidence flew in the face of that, not least of which was that you had a guy who... Everybody who knew him described as a very controlling person who was very much in charge of his own life, what was going into his body, and how he was living. And so the idea that the greatest player in baseball was just taking a bunch of stuff under his tongue, injecting whatever, and had no idea what it was, was really hard to believe. But that was Barry's position, and you know, we reported it as it was, as it was stated to the grand jury. So the thing I'm wondering is, who the hell is giving Lance and Mark all of these transcripts from the grand jury? I mean, whether you think it's wrong or right that the feds are keeping these athletes' identities secret, it's pretty mind-blowing that the press is able to get all of this classified information so easily. And needless to say, the government was pretty pissed about it. When we published the, the Tim Montgomery grand jury testimony in the summer of 04, we heard from the federal government, the prosecutors in the case, basically saying, look, don't publish this. We want it back. Send us the material that you got. Send us it in the envelope you got it, everything. And we, you know, we respectfully declined. It wasn't until after the Bond story, grand jury testimony, and the grand jury testimony of other baseball players and athletes was published by us that um, the judge in the case called for a separate federal investigation into where we got the material it became clear that the government would go after Lance and Mark in order to get to their source. And when I say go after, I mean they were threatening to subpoena them, take them to court, 
and issue jail sentences. There are times in reporting where reporters are told something by a source. It turns out to be explosive. Uh, it turns out to be something the government wants. Uh, the reporters don't realize even what they're getting into. And sometimes you'll see a reporter in that circumstance uh, go back on a confidence. That wasn't the situation, however, for Lance and Mark. We knew going in that we were asking people to take a risk for us, to help us. And we knew it was a big story and there might be blowback. And we, we told them going in, we just said, look, we will never give you up. I mean, even advice as a reporter, I have to establish trust with these sources. And a promise is a promise. And once you burn that trust, as a journalist, you're pretty much done. Boy, there was no ambiguity at all uh, from our perspective. And when we got called on it, we just said, well, dang, we're going to have to keep our word here because there's really no other alternative. The fact that these two were willing to give up their freedom to keep their integrity is pretty impressive. In a story of so many cheats, it would have been easy for these guys to cheat their sources. In 2006, Lance and Mark were issued subpoenas. I think Lance and I both believed and feared we were going to end up in prison for some period of time. You know, and I was not like, oh, bring on prison, for sure. I was, like, scared. And Mark, he had a young family at home, two kids who were eight and six at the time. Unfortunately, it became a very public issue, the reporting not only on, on Balco, but then also on our subpoenas. And so at some point, my wife and I sat down our kids. I mean, it was a horrible conversation. You know, you can tell your kids, look, dad made a promise and he's going to keep it. You know, that sort of makes sense at eight and six, right? But dad might go to prison for doing his job. That's a different animal, right? September that year, Lance and Mark were called to the courthouse in San Francisco for sentencing. It was a difficult time as Mark's dad was fighting cancer. We'd done a, like a last trip with him to Idaho. Our sentencing hearing was scheduled right in the middle of that trip. And the government refused to move the hearing, or the judge did. And I remember being so fucking pissed um, and feeling, you know, the sort of callousness of the judge and the government in this case. I ended up flying from Idaho to San Francisco, coming to the Chronicle building and changing into my suit. And I just remember the whole feeling was so surreal, sort of somber, because it just didn't feel real to me in some ways. Lance and I each had statements we'd written. I'd written mine like on the train ride from San Francisco to Idaho with my dad and my brother. And I think I said something to the effect of, I can't do this for any number of reasons and I'm sorry, but sources need to know and have the understanding that they can provide information to reporters without fear of retribution in a society that's built around, you know, a free press. He sends us to 18 months. More on that after the break. Fortunately, the judge who sentenced us did not make us go to prison that day. He gave us a, a, a stay so we could appeal. Lance and Mark were let out and given a chance to appeal the sentence. And so began their fight for freedom. 
Their lawyer put together an aggressive campaign which involved them flying back and forth to Washington, D.C., lobbying politicians and publicizing their case until they got a phone call that changed everything. Remember, Lance and I are coming off of a flight and we learned that the feds have found their own way at this person they believe is a source and that they're going after him and are prosecuting him and he's supposedly cooperating. And I think shortly thereafter, and I know this was on Valentine's Day, we get the call that the government has dropped the subpoenas because they've found another way to get the information. The source, as it turns out, was Troy Ellerman, Conti's lawyer. In 2007, Troy admitted to allowing Mark and Lance the opportunity to take verbatim notes of grand jury testimony in his Sacramento office in 2004. He was sentenced to prison for two years. The source, the guy who really without him, the public would never have known what was going on with doping in sports. They'd lost his law license. His, his, his life's been completely disrupted. He's done, he was punished far harder than anybody. And of course, the athletes weren't punished at all, were they? All athletes except Marion Jones. And Mark admits he feels pretty bittersweet about avoiding prison. I mean, on one hand, it's like, thank God I don't have to go to jail. On the other hand, though, it was his source that ended up taking most of the rap. It is still a massive source of sadness and frustration and, frankly, guilt for me that this whistleblower suffered in the way that they did and that in the end... Nobody suffered more, I would argue, than the whistleblower in this case. That's not the way the system should work. I mean, who knows? Maybe we wouldn't have any idea about Balco if Troy hadn't come to Mark and leaked those testimonies. Maybe they would have swept it under the carpet. Maybe we'd still all be living in this blissful ignorance about doping and its grip on sport. It's clear we as a society need to constantly evaluate the people who expose the cheating, the whistleblowers. Why is it that they're the ones who often get punished the most? And what influence is that having on the type of information we find out? I mean, just think about how many examples of cheating haven't become public knowledge because someone like Troy was too scared to come out. People come to the press or help the press for all kinds of motives. I never judge as long as I know the information is true. I deeply respect whistleblowers. It makes our system work a lot better when you have that access to some independent information about the government. If you're like me, you're probably asking, what about Conti? Well, he was sentenced to four months in prison as a result of Balco. But shortly after getting out, he set up another company, Snack. And he still worked with athletes on their nutrition, mainly boxers. But get this, folks. This dude is one of the most prominent voices there is against drug cheats. And like they say, there's no zealot like a convert. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. 
And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next week on Cheat. She's being actually followed now by the FBI and her anxiety level begins to escalate until she's stopped on the street. And the FBI tell her that she's under investigation and Lee runs home and throws out all of her typewriters, you know, scattering them in garbage cans across the Upper West Side. And this is where the worm turns. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Tom Fuller. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>